0: What's up everyone welcome to the backmarkers f1 show podcast really glad you could join us here today on this april uh, monday actually we're doing this podcast uh, shortly after the race uh, kind of a rare sunday edition of the podcast here but actually super happy to be doing it on a sunday because so many things happened in this 2023 australian grand prix that by the time we do it on monday or tuesday we might have forgotten the entire thing that happened <laughs> during this race so i'm chris cato alongside my fellow backmarkers tyler mcdonald and shaker bardi in ottawa bringing you this podcast boys how are you doing today
1: doing well doing well what a uh, interesting grand prix uh you could say um you know it went through its lulls and everything like that but uh the ending was uh, very topical as you could say i don't think i said that right but anyways it was an interesting finish (laughs)
2: Yeah, I I think surprising for sure. You know, good good beginning and good end. Um, I mean, like you said, interesting end. Um, something not kind of what we were expe- expecting from the Australian Grand Prix because there's you know not a lot of not a lot of passes that happen and you know there was quite a lot of them. So, yeah, o- overall not what I expected, but a good race overall. But like you said, definitely had his laws in the middle for sure.
0: It had quite a few laws, and also the other thing too is that. After the Australian Grand Prix, we're not going to have another race until the end of April on April 28th. So it's about almost a three-week break from Formula One. So I guess this race was perfect in a sense of which we're almost going to have three weeks worth of incidents to talk about in this Grand Prix. But we're going to try and break it down here in the next 45 minutes or so. And I was trying to actually wonder of where we could get started here on this uh, recap podcast, just because so many things happen. So... Let's maybe try in chronological order, because I know you boys have opinions on everything that happened. So let's begin at the first red flag. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) there was multiple of them. So we'll start at the first one. But it was, of course, the Alex Albon crash, which is really unfortunate because Albon was having such a great weekend so far and was running actually in the top eight. It was kind of Williams' best result in the last few years or so. So he was doing really well. And then, of course, uh, he had the crash, almost uh, got collided there with Hulkenberg, who was passing through, and as well as Lance Stroll. But... It didn't seem like there was uh, any damage to the barriers. Of course, Albon was okay, got out pretty well. But then the stewards decided to red flag it, which really turned the race on its head. It put George Russell, of course, in a bad luck situation because he had pitted under the safety car, which came out initially. But for the likes of Verstappen and Hamilton and Alonso, they really benefited from staying out. So, Tyler, I'll start with just the simple question here. Was that first red flag necessary? And if you were the race director, what would you have done in that situation?
1: Uh, quick answer. No, not necessary in my opinion. Um, I thought you know the the um word from the FIA was that there was too much gravel on the track. I mean, too much gravel on the track. Come I on, how is that an excuse? I mean, like it's gravel. Like we sweep it to the sides. It it can't be that hard. Dude, you can have it under a safety car and be able to sweep the gravel off the roads when the cars at the other side of the track. So. In my opinion no not a worthy red flag i thought that was a little trigger happy by the fia um in my in my opinion it should have been just a simple full course safety car and we would have been back to running in normal ways
2: um yeah i, I kind of agree with you there shouldn't have been a red flag should have been a safety car um i know i know the barrier was out a little bit as well but still should have been a safety car there wasn't that much damage or any debris really on the track itself that they couldn't have just cleaned up quickly um and you would have been a, a different situation for the top three drivers for sure maybe the top six um in terms of if it was a safety car instead of a red flag for sure i think we would have seen different results from the race overall um but yeah i i don't i don't think it was just a, it was a you know a red
0: it's always difficult because we don't have the data and the information that the race control room does because they have more information in terms of how much debris was on the track. There was more of a concern, I think, of you know it being on the racing line. And even if the drivers are coming through there under safety car speeds, still could be an issue. But I agree with you both. I think that that first safety car was, or excuse me, the first red flag was just too trigger happy because I think it was quite obvious that there wasn't massive barrier damage, of course. And I don't think that there was that much carbon debris either that it couldn't have been cleared, just like you said there, Tyler, by simply sweeping it off the track. And under safety car speeds, I think there's plenty of time for those marshals to get out there and sweep it under. I even think that there's plenty of time and opportunity for that big sweeper truck to get on the track while the cars are going around at reduced speeds. It was very trigger happy, in my opinion, similar to the Saudi Arabian safety car. Uh, We weren't here for that recap podcast, but if you cast your memory back to that race, Lance Stroll had perfectly parked his car at one of the Marshall exit posts, and yet they threw the safety car right into the track. And the FIA said their reasoning was, well, the GPS was showing us that the car was on track. Well, don't you have access to far more cameras and things like that to see that, okay, Lance Stroll's car is well out of the way of any danger, a virtual safety car was plenty more enough to cover that incident. So I think that it was uh, far too early and it really did change the direction of the race. Now, you could say for George Russell, maybe it wouldn't have mattered in the end because he did have the engine failure that cost him to uh, fail uh, to finish in the race. But it really did put other drivers uh, out of position like Carlos Sainz in the end. So that was one of the first of, I think, <laughs> many questionable decisions uh in the race so that was really the first red flag and then afterwards we had the restart and everything we get into kind of like shaker mentioned off the top of the show there a lull in the race australia difficult track to overtake we saw how powerful the drs was kind of made it a a little bit of a a more boring race let's say wasn't as exciting in terms of the on-track battles but now let's get to the second red flag of the race which i gotta say kevin magnuson provided us with one of the most unique crashes i've ever seen in Formula yeah. One history. And I didn't even know a tire could do that, to be honest with you, the way he smacked that wall. But he didn't even know what happened until he brought the car to a halt. And then that was really when the whole race almost shifted because Verstappen was well out in front, 10 seconds ahead. It looked like he had it all wrapped up. And then boom, we got our second red flag of the day. So I will post the same question again for the second time in about five minutes. Shaker, I'll start with you this time. Do you think that the second red flag was necessary for Magnuson's crash.
2: I mean, like it's a hard call. I mean, yes, his car didn't completely make it off the track from what I remember, but also I don't think there was that much debris on the track itself for them to, to, you know, to do that. So I should have been a safety car, I think, not maybe a virtual safety car. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of like very on the edge on this one, but I, I, I again, I don't think there was that much debris on the track itself. But
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know. For me, um I think it was the right call. I think a red flag is the correct call in that. And let me hear you out. Think back. Remember back to, uh, to, <laughs> Abu Dhabi, 2021. There's. Two three laps left in the race. Nikos Latifi puts it in the wall. What <laughs> dramatic thing do we want? We want a red flag to restart the race. Fast forward to this past weekend. <laughs> Somehow that was a weird cl- crash. by Magnus. So I, I do want to touch on that. It was like he almost misjudged the wall because that the wall does stick out and then retreat back for like a, a an access area for uh, for marshals and stuff. And like it's like he misread that by maybe like a meter and that's what made him smack the wall. It's really, really weird. But um but anyways, um I think it was the right call for dramatic reasons. I think you can't end the end the race on safety cars anymore at this day and age in at Formula One. There's too many eyes on it and it leads to a boring finish. And if we had that lull in the race plus then it finished finishing under safety car would have been oh my god what a terrible race like now people have the complete opposite opinion on the race. Uh, I was talking to someone earlier today who said that, well, that was one of the best races they've watched. Um, and I immediately thought back, okay, well, but Germany a few years back. And there's, you know, I think there's better races personally. Uh, but that gives the, the impression people get from an ending like that is, well, what an amazing race uh, because of the ending that's, that we had. So, yes, I do think it was the right call. And uh, Lewis Hamilton did say there was a lot of debris on the track, but to end the race, not red flag of the race, which is an interesting call too. I think he felt a lot of pressure from Alonzo back. So I think that call was to just end the race in your safety car. I'm not sure he was expecting a red flag either. Um, so, you know, if, if you take a look, there's two different ways of thinking about it. For the drivers, probably don't want a red flag. If you're everyone at home in the grandstands and trying to make money off Formula One, you, you do want a red flag in that scenario.
2: But the thing is tyler it did end up ending basically in, a, in you know a virtual safety <laughs> situation so <laughs> like in the end didn't matter yeah, i think so it good. ended up causing more damage to the cars in the end and like to all the teams to, and they still ended up ending, ending in a virtual safety car yeah so,
1: alpine got like a two million dollar bill for that
2: yeah <laughs> so I mean yeah I I get what you're saying though like yes if there was like three laps rest and that you know the third red flag didn't happen then yes I totally get where you're coming from but they still ended up and basically ended up in a virtual safety car so
1: yeah no you're right you're right but I, I guess you guess do, you don't know that's gonna happen what do you call the red yeah, flag no I, I right, totally
2: but, get where you're coming from but though, yeah, it's that that just term, funny
1: how yeah. it ended they're trying to avoid that ending and still got that yeah. ending. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what i thought for a second for you i give it back to you chris is that i thought that they were going to say oh we didn't complete a lap we're actually going to have a one lap shootout <laughs> like for a standing start and just have one lap to decide it i thought that's what they were going to do honestly it's what yeah. they do in nascar and i thought oh maybe they'll pull a page of the nascar rulebook but uh, maybe that's something that will change in the future
0: yeah and i'm glad you guys brought that point up in your responses there because my next question would have been is should that race have just finished under a safety car now if you cast your memory back to last year's italian grand prix in 2022 we actually did have the race finish under the safety car when daniel ricardo had to pull over with some sort of a mechanical issue but that incident was slightly different from the standpoint of it was just a mechanical issue and it was a car that was in an unsafe position so If you look at the FIA's argument from it, they say that in terms of the Magnuson crash, there was debris on the track. And one of the main issues that the FIA was trying to put up is like, listen, even if there's carbon debris and the uh, cars are going around under safety car speeds, it's still relatively fast. So there's a potential safety hazard of that debris popping up into a driver's face and it being hurt. It could also be something uh, of a driver, you know, running over even at slow speeds and they get a puncture. And then what if they have to pit or they have a mechanical issue and then they they lose position anyway. So that is their their reasoning behind it. And if you remember the, that Italian Grand Prix last season, a lot of people were upset that the race finished under the safety car. And it's very interesting, though, because that was around the same time in, in Italy. It was about five laps to go when that safety car came out. So it was very interesting decisions being made. I think there was a lot of confusion as well as the decision-making was happening. But I think that we all kind of agree between the three of us that I think we should make the most attempt to finish the race under green flag conditions where possible. So I like that they made that effort to do this in that sense, but I think that there's still a lot of confusion and inconsistency with how the FIA operates here. It seems like on one race, they're doing one thing, and then the next race, they're doing the other. And I know Formula 1 is a very dynamic sport, and you can't necessarily have a... Rule book and an example for every single situation. I just think it needs to be far more cut and dry. Of when these incidents come around, they're able to just apply that rule and they know what to do. They kind of just, <laughs> you know, even while they were trying to decide what to do with that restart, you seemed like mm, I don't know about this. So I, I think eventually they did make the right decision, but man, the carnage that followed afterwards was was unbelievable. I mean, I and I really feel for guys like Pierre Gasly, you know, who really got put off by it. And even Carlos Sainz, I know that he used to blame, obviously, for that accident. But, boy, I don't know. I guess we'll talk about that penalty separately. But so I, I I don't know. I mean, what do you think, Tyler? What could the FIA do here? Because it was funny on a weekend where Michael Massey, I think, was the first time he returned back to the paddock since Abu Dhabi 2021. <laughs> I think a lot of us are kind of starting to realize that he wasn't really the problem per se. Maybe he was just part of the problem.
1: Yeah, I don't think he is the problem at all, but um, yeah, I, I don't... It's it's interesting. I think they have to have some sort of rule that's cut and dry like NASCAR. And I mean, I don't want to be the North American that preaches oh, NASCAR, blah, blah, blah. Do it, because I was going to
0: bring it up next.
1: <laughs> okay, great. Because the way they do it is if the race is going to end under caution, or a yellow flag condition, safety car, same thing, they extend the race and say it's a they call it a green white checkered so it goes green then you take the white flag and a checkered flag it's a two-lap shootout pretty much now they do this over and over and over again until they get a winner you can't do that in formula one because obviously of fuel management loads there's only in nascar you can refuel in formula one obviously you can't so i don't think that's the the, maybe the right way of doing it because you can't go over and over and over again and just create more carnage. So there, I think there's some sort of modification in there where there is that red flag, whether it's, if it's within three laps left or something like that, where you restart the race with with two laps to go or one lap to go and just give it a one lap shooter. Then whatever the next flag ends the race, that's it. Then, Then it's over. Um, so, I, which is similar to what they did today, in a sense, um, minus the whole kind of figuring out the the restart procedure, and then doing one lap under the safety car, um, to to end that. So, I, I don't know. It is a hard, hard kind of topic, and you know, I would be very curious to see what other people think down in the comments below on on what they think the best solution would be as well. Chris, what do you think, though?
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I was going to kind of bring up that NASCAR overtime uh, concept that they're doing. And, and if you watch North American racing or NASCAR in particular, you're familiar with that. And good point that you brought up there because in Formula One, it would be a bit more difficult to to do something like that. I also just think that it was very weird how they did that extra formation. I think that was just stupid <laughs> in a way and stuff. I mean, they could have just really called the race in in what it was and, and just continued on like that. But then as we're starting to talk about it and we think about it, there's another side to this, which I would kind of agree with as well to say. I, I think every effort should be made to try and restart the race, but I also think that red flags should only be necessary for absolute safety requirements and not for entertainment value. Because I think when you look at the other side of things, like let's take Max Verstappen, for example, he drove a really solid race. He built this 10 second gap. He was just all really needed to just bring the car home. And then all of a sudden, something like that happens, and then you're into red flag conditions, and now the whole race essentially gets neutralized, and he could have lost that race. I mean, he could have been passed by Hamilton. He could have even been passed by Alonso. You never know. So there's that also side to look at it where you say, well, it could be unfair to some of the drivers out there who, let's say, built up this lead by the great driving that they've done, and then it's all taken away from them. That, that's a fair point, too, but that's motorsport. These things happen. I mean, look at the safety car in Abu Dhabi, right? It was just luck. Well, of course, I know it depends who you ask. It might be uh, something else, but Latifi crashes and then that happens. So it's very difficult. I think the only thing that I'm just trying to, my point about this whole thing before we move on, is we want to see the consistency and we also want to see certainty from the FIA stewards that this is what we're doing in these situations and that they're clean and they're coherent and they're quick with their decision making. I just felt like in Australia again they were kind of like making it up as they go and I've gotten that sense in the last few races of this season too
2: yeah it, it seems like it's more like like you mentioned Chris it's more about entertaining people and with the amount of people they are getting to watch than it is about um <coughs> and it is about just finishing the race at that point and and I I think they realize what they did in Abu Dhabi provided entertainment got a lot of people to watch so you know, having three championship winners in the top three in the red, in, you know, in a in a, in a uh, restart in the last two laps makes a lot of entertainment value. Um, so yeah, no, I, I see where you're coming from.
1: It's gonna look great on Drive to Survive. <laughs> hey, you could work for the FIA. The FIA? If they want to pay me very well, i be glad to work for them. <laughs>
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that was Tyler doing his best race director impression right there. <laughs> like, excuse me, race director, what should we do in this situation? Well, red flag, and that'll be really good for Drive to Survive. Red flag it is. Red flag, red flag it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point you bring up there, Shaker, though. I mean, it's we have to remember this is a sport. And somebody, I heard a great quote over the weekend where they say the only time Formula One is a sport when the lights go out and, and the cars start to actually race out on the track. And even then, sometimes it doesn't seem like a sport. So that's a really good point. And I'm 100% in agreement there that these decisions need to be made with the racing and the regulations in mind and not the entertainment value. I know that the ending under the safety car isn't entertaining. And I know that people complain probably one way or another, and it doesn't matter what they do. But I think that we need to keep the spirit of the sport in mind and not the Netflix viewership or the TV numbers or anything like that, Um, because this is a sport at the end of the day. And I think that
1: Formula One, especially
0: in terms of the management, needs to be reminded of that.
1: Yeah, I think there is a fine balance there that BFI need to find. Um, It's just finding that balance. And that's just going to happen through trial and error. They're going to learn from mistakes that they make and um, they'll hear flak from the drivers and everything like that, and well, hopefully, they next time the decision comes, it'll be the right decision. Well, you hope I so. I mean, that, sorry, I didn't say that. I do think it was the right decision this this race. So I don't know. But it, it depends which way you look at it, right? That's the thing. Is that there's in the end, it's a business, and you have a business to make money. Yes, it's a sport as well, but any sport also as a business and it goes for entertainment value whether it's the you know the NFL if it's the Champions League if it's in the NBA anything like that it's all about making money and creating entertainment so what's going to make the most entertainment in that in that situation in my opinion that created the most entertainment which is going to create the more more business and in the end more money for the drivers the teams and everyone else involved so I, I just
2: feel like sorry I'll let you finish
1: no that's it that's that's it
2: I was gonna say I just feel like the last few years they have like they've had virtual safety cars and yellow flags and red like yellow flags for less like um like less issues that were issues that were more of a safety issue you know like I feel like last year when george russell had that huge crash and when we really saw that red card come through right or then uh sorry, red flag come through we're like this year for to have three red flags come through on one race which we only uh, we saw three overall last year is, is a huge surprise especially for only in the third season uh third race of the season so yeah hopefully no, we is- get consistency throughout the season
1: as well so yeah no, 100%. And I think I agree. I, I think we all agree the first red flag should have been a red flag. And I'm not sure the other. I think I don't understand that one. But um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. It's a, you know, a can of words. And I wonder what's what will happen in the future.
0: And really, it's going to come down to that next driver meeting in uh, Baku, Azerbaijan, for the next race. Because if you heard some of the radio reaction from the drivers, especially Fernando Alonso, it was quite shocking when the, they dropped that red flag. For, uh, for the final time at the Australian Grand Prix. So maybe there is no right answer here. I'm kind of torn in between, but uh, yeah, comment section is wide open for you guys down there to let us know what you think of the FIA stewarding. What do you think of uh, the red flags dropping there? Should we have ended the race there under the safety car? Let us know what you think. Uh, just to continue on, because there's so much madness that we do have to talk about that when we actually got to that second restart. I mean, it's just action all over the place in the first two corners. And some of the big losers, of course, were the Alpines. Both of them were running excellent positions, especially if Pierre Gasly was in contention for driver of the day before that accident. And then uh, that really ended all quite dramatically. But I think the other side of this, too, is is you have to look at, um, you, you know, this these types of things are going to happen with two laps to go. Everybody's going to go for it. I think this is very different than a race start on lap one where everybody knows they got a full Grand Prix ahead of them. So you kind of take some caution. But when there's only two laps to go, then you're going to take a lot more risks. And it seems like a lot of drivers took risks because I don't know what was the final count. We lost five or six cars just in the span of two and a half corners. But Carlos Sainz was the huge loser out of that one because he tagged Fernando Alonso. And then he got the five-second penalty, which really sucked because all the cars were right behind him, so he dropped out of the points. Do you think that penalty for science was a little too harsh
1: in the end, or was it deserved? Well, what's the most minor penalty you can get? That one that he got. So, uh, then no, I don't think it's too harsh because there's nothing you can go that's less than that. You can't go after the race and say, oh, he loses one position because he screwed that up five second penalty he shouldn't have driven to the side of alonzo like i'm sorry it's that's that's his mistake mistakes happen it sucks that for him in that scenario he drove a great race that he ends up losing eight positions because it ends up under safety car now and maybe that's why the race had to be finished under the the safety car like it was to put those five seconds in because it's hard to put a five second time stamp in on a standing start so i I don't know how (laughs) they would have done that either Unless they gave him a grid penalty for the next race, um, that, that could have been the other option as well. But, I mean, just bad luck for Carlos Sainz, unfortunately, but he's the one that caused the accident and in the end, which ended up, you know, spidering into a thousand other different accidents that happened at the end of that race as well.
2: Yeah, and if, if that's a minimal p- penalty, I think it's well deserved, and because that was basically just a trigger for five other cars to basically go out in the last two laps of the race, so ruined a bunch of you know a bunch of race a b- bunch of drivers' race as well as cost like you mentioned Alpine two million dollars, um in the final lap of the race so. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's that's brutal for Alpine. That's a ton- they were. I'm sure you guys were listening. They were in for Otmar's, and he, he was very positive for what the situation he was dealing with. I, I would have been losing my mind. Yeah.
0: A ghastly, sure was. I just watched the the post race reaction video from F1, and he was just. It was like somebody had died or something. Was his reaction to uh, to that <laughs> race and. He took full responsibility for it, which uh, obviously, I mean, it was just kind of one of those tough things. I wouldn't say that it was it wasn't as bad a science uh, there. We'll get back to him in just a second. But uh, good news for Gasly is that he didn't get any penalty points, which was kind of surprising, actually, because I thought that he would have was the way that FIA has been going as of late. And that would have meant a race ban because he's right on the precipice of a race ban with the penalty points that he has. So he's gotten really lucky there. So I think that, uh, yeah, yeah, he's on, uh, I I I think it's 12 for a race ban and he's on 10 or 11, something like that. But basically one more infraction and he gets a race ban. So he's not out of the woods yet. And I think it's another uh, month or two until some of those old points start to shave off. So I was surprised personally he didn't get a penalty point for that just because it was dangerous, the way he kind of came back onto the track slowly. But uh, yeah, I guess they, they didn't want to punish him too badly. They thought losing a P5 was was hard enough for, for Gasly.
1: Yeah, and costing his team another position with Okon too. So that's that's fair. I can understand that. But yeah, uh, I didn't realize how close it was to a ban. Um, but yeah, just going back on, on Carl Sainz here. So he finished six and a half seconds back of Max Verstappen. I don't know if you noticed, but Lance Stroll was kind of like, I don't know if he was trying to help science out at all, but he was kind of lagging back to maybe give a, a bigger gap to the drivers behind Stroll. Obviously, Stroll yeah. was behind science, and it kind of looked like, oh, maybe he's helping science out. Um, and then you saw everyone speeding across the line behind <laughs> Stroll to trying to get, uh, into that five-second territory for science, and obviously it ended up working because all other, you know, eleven other, um, drivers who were still running at the time. All past Carlos science and I was just looking, uh, Sonoda had 0.5 sec, half a second to spare, uh, and getting a, a race, uh, a race point there. So yeah, it, it's, it's unfortunate for Carlos, but at the same time, he, he made the mistake and, and caused that issue. So it's just whether or not you want to decide if it's five seconds worthy or if it's a, um, a grid penalty at the next race
2: i think i think five seconds is worthy with how ferrari's doing um i think a grid penalty would have pretty much ruined their entire season <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I think that was done after this weekend pretty much <laughs> yeah
2: done after but, the
1: first we didn't top, really t-
2: first first, first, first <laughs> turn
1: <laughs> yeah well i was just about to say Shay, your first turn Charlie clare got obviously sent us the gravel and no fall of anyone there it's a racing incident but just more bad luck for Ferrari and, and Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. I mean, just has just been a tough few years for them. Hasn't it? Oh.
0: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, though, you have to look at it and say, like you said, Tyler, it is the fault of the driver. It is Carlos Sainz who got out of shape and made the contact with Fernando Alonso. So that's, you know, and, and all those other drivers, too. Most of them, some that had the contact on the restart. I think it was important for them to try and stay clear and clean, like some of the other drivers did, and that's their fault at the end of the day. Um, but that's what happens when you try and go for it with only uh, two laps to go. So, yeah, I mean, you really felt for Carlos Sainz, and they had the camera on him in the pit lane right away when he got the news, and you, yeah, you, you just saw it in his eyes, and yeah, exactly, he was pretty pretty upset, which was uh, interesting to see how that kind of uh, all transpired, but. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a crazy restart. I don't know who else got into some uh, some incidents there on the restart. I know we had the two Alpines. Mm-hmm. We, of course, had uh, Alonzo, which I- I'm really glad that the the, the penalty... Co- oh, actually, sorry. I- I'm jumping around here a little bit, but I remember now the the point that I wanted to make here, going back to our argument of whether that uh, the decision to revert the positions back was the right one or not. I'm just going to say it wasn't the right one because... Nico Hulkenberg was that close to his maiden podium because had the, the order stayed after all the crashes and Signs gets his penalty, Nico Hulkenberg would have been third.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, damn, <laughs> that would have been worth it uh, no matter what. Oh, it's too bad. That's a great point, Chris.
2: Speaking of Nico Halkenberg, when that first lap, when he went off the gravel and that, all that, all, everything that happened in that first lap, I just immediately was like, man, if this is the race where he gets like starts like P4, what was it? No, P6? He started out pretty high. Uh, and then like his entire race is ruined just because going off the gravel and crashing the wall. I would have been in like heartbroken for him. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he was. He had a good race. He had actually a pretty good weekend too, and scored his first points for Haas, which was good. But yeah, it was just it was funny because you saw like two drivers just unexpectedly. Sonoda was in fifth, and then Hulkenberg uh, was uh, was sitting there in fourth, and and yeah, would have had the podium because that was like none of the commentators were bringing it up when that whole thing was going on, and I'm like, guys, like you realize how close we are to Hulkenberg podium because I knew that that penalty was probably going to go to science. There's no way they weren't going to look at that, so <laughs> eventually it would have been. Really close, but I mean, Nico did score some points anyway. Once we got uh, the final order in there, so yeah, that was uh, that was the crazy restart. Way at the back, you had Logan Sargent uh, double lockup, took out Nick DeVries. Vries. So uh, wow, kind of went
1: to the back of Nick DeVries. Vries. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but it was similar to what we saw all weekend. Cooler temperatures, a lot of drivers struggling for grip. Entire warm up, and I think that was the issue too with uh, the the space, pace behind the safety car. Max Verstappen, in particular complaining just how slow it was and i don't know if you guys remember this i'm not sure exactly which restart it was under because we had so many but remember when lewis hamilton really slowed down the field and then we went yeah. to the shot of like all the cars you know almost i think that's what you were just mentioning there shaker you had i think one of the Hasses, whether it was hulkenberg or magnuson completely went into the gravel yeah. but they almost had two three cars run into each other
2: yeah it completely slowed down i think it was everybody behind lance stroll i think it was Was just almost went off or everybody behind it was p6 or whatever position that was but yeah
1: but apparently you're allowed to do that (laughs) well yeah it was the right decision from lewis but it was just weird how it all kind of you know stacked up at the back and just yeah it got very dangerous at the back of the grid there but lewis was right he could do whatever he wants there technically under so i did nothing wrong um yeah very Remind me, what was that? What race was that where they all? Um, it was Bottas's fault the where they all plowed into each other um, during a restart. Honestly. Oh, in uh, Mugello. Yes, Mugello. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we had That's like three red flags me. there too. <laughs> I think so. Yeah,
0: what what an eventful race. I mean, so so many crazy things happen. But let's talk a little bit about the results in the end instead of all the uh, informalities and the craziness. Of well, course, we're stopping. I,
1: I, I want to know if you're wearing that Aston Martin hat just to get a little bit more luck on your side. <laughs> because they are the luckiest people in the world to getting a P3 and P4 out of that race.
0: Well, they are. And I, I honestly, I felt really bad for them had the decision gone the other way because... Once again, Alonso drove a good race. Lance Stroll drove a solid race, and then it would have all ended there in that one corner, but eventually went better for them because now P3, P4, and now sitting second in the constructor standings, a uh, really uh, decent points clear of Mercedes as well in third. So very lucky. And Fernando Alonso, we're starting to get used to this. Aston Martin on the podium, first three races of the season. Alonso's first time being on the podium in three consecutive races since 2013. And he's been really making a habit of it this year. And I thought that P2 was in with the shot at this race, but Lewis did have a, a pretty good pace in that Mercedes and was managing the gap very well. So I think Aston Martin, one of the disadvantages to their car this season, and it doesn't have many because it's a good car, but it is quite draggy. And we saw that a little bit in Jetta, but it, in particular this race with four DRS zones, we saw that their car is a, a little bit slower in the straight lines, but still it has excellent cornering grip and uh, really good out of the corners as well. So another podium for Alonso. I thought it was brilliant. And uh, we talked about this in the first podcast, and we would have talked about it in the last one too. I love what he's bringing to this season so far. And I just love the fact that it seems like with Ferrari kind of out of the picture now, he's going to be in with the shot at a podium almost every race. Now it's just kind of a matter of time and luck until he gets to P2 and hopefully
1: eventually P1. And hopefully it's the same for his teammate Lance Stroll. I mean, we'd like to see him him do well you know as well so um I'll go ahead shaker I didn't mean to interrupt you
2: no i know for sure i was just gonna say that um i was gonna ask you guys do you think that was sergio perez's like best drives that he's ever done because he went from p20 to p5 had some great overtakes i think it was like the three or four laps in the middle over the the i think it was lando norris i can't remember who it was but it was like three drivers almost three or four laps in a row that he just overtook them
1: Yeah, I thought it it was a, a really good Sergio Perez drive, obviously. Top three. I don't know if, yeah. it's, his, don't know if it's number one, because the, the, there was, was it Secure where he raced last to first? Yeah. Is that, it is that one, okay. So that one I still think is his best drive. If he would have won today, I would have said absolutely it's his best drive. Um, but I think it's a top three for sure. I mean, he had a phenomenal race. He was very aggressive in his overtakes and um seemed to have a really good whatever break issue we had during practice and qualifying um seemed to get that figured out in the race because he was very confident on them
2: Well, apparently they changed his setup around after qualifying they changed wow. so every they changed everything that he was complaining about because uh, i think yeah the breaks and whatever issues you, they ended up changing both around right before the race so
0: interesting He's kind of made a habit of those recovery drives. I think it's a lot easier, too, with the fact that he has the fastest car underneath him. (laughs) But Australia is not an easy track to overtake, even though uh, it has uh, four DRS ones now. So that really favored Red Bull. But it was a shame, too, because he's really kind of the only next Verstappen title contender this season. And third race of the year, he has that issue. Okay, the points gap wasn't as big in the end but still unfortunate for him. So, yeah, we'll see how that really kind of develops as we go into the next few races, which kind of brings me to uh, another question that I had for you guys. And we saw this was the first race of the year. I know we've only had three races, but the first race of 2023 in which the gap seemed just a little bit closer. Now, I know Verstappen had that mistake at the the penultimate chicane, which kind of cut down the, the gap. I mean, he was well out in front, you know, 10 seconds or so. But I'm just saying in terms of Mercedes looked a lot stronger. And even the Ferrari race pace was actually quite good in the hands of Carlos Sainz. He was keeping on tabs with uh, Fernando Alonso and was lapping at times, even as fast as Lewis Hamilton. So some people were out there considering like, okay, maybe it's starting to get a little bit closer here. Personally, I think that this was more track specific than anything. We had a lot cooler temperatures in Melbourne. We didn't even have air temperature that went over 20 degrees until race day. And I think that those cooler temperatures might have favored some teams, in particular the Mercedes. I think that uh, Lewis and George Russell nailed their setup really well, which has uh, favored them around this track. But I think Australia is one of those tracks, and we've seen this in recent years where it's not—it's very unique. It's not like many of the other circuits that we go to, so that we see sometimes these anomalies happen. But what do you guys think just quickly on that? I mean, do do we think it's going to get a little bit closer in the next couple of races? Or are we going to see more of the same here, which is Red Bull out in front dominating? Are, are Mercedes trying to make a comeback here? Or do, have they figured out something with their car before they bring upgrades? What were your senses watching that weekend?
1: Well, I think if, you know, obviously the Red Bulls are so um, dominant in uh, on the streets and we've had Two, we could argue three with Bahrain, but I'd say two very, um, you know, straight line speed, heavy tracks in Saudi Arabia and Australia. And I say Saudi Arabia because, you know, it is very fast, obviously a lot of of, um, of high speed corners, but there are some very, very long straights there as well. And Azerbaijan, I think, is going to be a little bit of the same. It's the, That street circuit's got that really, really long front straight that I think the Red Bulls are going to be just super, super dominant on. I don't think it's going to be until maybe Miami. I would say, um, you know, when they go to um, to round in round six, I, I thought I could see it becoming a lot closer. And then you have Monaco. Spain is, you know, not a top-heavy, you know, very speed-heavy track. Um, Austria, Great Britain. I think the middle of schedule it might favour the other teams a little bit, but, I mean, if you take a look, I think the Red Bulls are going to dominate in Baku. Miami is going to be interesting I'm not 100% sure I'll shake out it's only the second race there Canada I think will be a Red Bull um, as well and then you have uh, Belgium, Hungary, Italy straight line speed there well not so much Netherlands but Spax is home track so he'll probably dominate so I mean it's going to be an interesting balance here to see if it will come closer obviously Alonso is very confident that it will be closer and I think that um and lewis is kind of you know it knows it'll be hard work but you can see the confidence behind the mercedes team a little bit after this weekend so i think there's some positives going forward in terms of uh, getting that gap a little closer to red bull
2: yeah like i i like you mentioned i think it is very track specific um but what was really interesting to see when um uh, both the mercedes were ahead of the red bull in the beginning of the race um you know red bull uh, just for the fact that they ended up getting DRS and um and Jordan Russell was keeping pace with Lewis and not going all the way up ahead which I don't think he really could Red Bull was struggling a little bit so it's nice to see that wheel-to-wheel racing and how uh you know the drafting and the DRS is kind of uh, taking a little more effect and they're getting clean air through the cars um so I I think it will get closer um in the Gap especially we'll probably see more after the summer break with the upgrades that they do bring um And I I think it's going to be definitely more from Aston Martin and uh, Mercedes than it is Ferrari, because I think um, F1 data analysis put out a thing just a few days ago saying they the you know, the second gaps that they made from the the 2022 cars. And I think Ferrari is the one that's made the least amount of um, made the least amount of time around the track. at australia compared to last year so it's a try to see but i I think it will be a little bit closer within
0: mercedes and aston martin for sure that will most likely be the battle for for second i think and maybe if ferrari can get in there with their upgrades we'll see i think mercedes were talking about bringing almost a whole new car concept within the next couple of races i don't know how much they could do that with the current budget cap but they are bringing upgrades but the the car seems okay. Again, I think like you guys said in, in my initial thoughts too, it's more track specific, but Red Bull is the clear runner out in front now. And like you said, Tyler, I think around the summertime is when we'll see things start to get a little bit closer. Remember, Red Bull has the least amount of wind tunnel and aero testing allowances this year, plus the extra 10% with that penalty that they got for breaching the cost cap. So I think that we'll start to see them slow down a little which is why I think they're so keen on dominating the first little bit of this season so that they can build that points cushion and eventually not have to worry about teams catching them similar to Braun in 2009. But I think this will be a little bit more comfortable for them. And that means that a, a team like Aston Martin, who has quite a few more aerodynamic allowances, they'll be able to maybe get in with a few wins here or there toward the end of the season, hopefully hopefully, But I think that we'll see uh, a three-team fight for second at least. But it's clear that Red Bull is out in front. And the bad news for us fans out there is I don't think any other team right now will be able to battle for the championship. And if it does happen in 2023, it might be too little too late for a competitive championship, which is kind of disappointing. So it's just the way that it is. But I think it could shape up for an interesting 2024. Who knows? We can only hope, at least, I guess. But uh, yeah, that, that's just the thoughts on some of the car performances there. Just some special mentions. I have one question that I want to get to, which is not necessarily related to Australian Grand Prix, but we'll wrap up with that one. But first, some honorable mentions there. McLaren, they entered this weekend uh, last in the constructor standings, and they have a really nice jump up the leaderboard after uh, double points finished. Helped, of course, with all the incidents. But Oscar Piastri getting his first points in Formula One at his home race, a very well-driven race. And he's been driving very well so far to start the season, despite McLaren's struggles showing that the replacement for Ricardo was actually a good move. And uh, Lando Norris as well, as you mentioned, Shaker in his battle with Sergio Perez was holding him off really well for a bunch of laps and he drove an excellent race. So it's good to see McLaren get off the leaderboard there. And they really needed this type of weekend.
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, he kind of felt good for Piastri to get points at his home track uh, and his his debut uh, at home. It It was awesome. So, um, no, it, slowly but sure that McLaren car is coming around. It is just so draggy, it's, it might be the slowest car on the grid in terms of straight line speed. So, a lot of work has to be done there on the McLaren side. But I mean, Lando had some good laps, he was keeping good pace as well, as you mentioned. So, um, no, some pauses take go for McLaren,
0: yeah, absolutely. And I think that they've got a lot of work to do until I mean. At least the mid-season point where they're bringing these upgrades that they were talking about but uh yeah it's been a rough start to to life at mclaren so far but piastri on the board with his first points and formula one so a a really good race for him and and that was nice to see um, him get it at home too so that was good but uh, overall a, a solid australian grand prix in terms of the on track action wasn't the most exciting but we certainly got a lot in terms of the entertainment value so maybe uh the boxes were ticked in melbourne so Uh, Do you guys have anything else from the Grand Prix uh, before we move on to just some other F1-related stuff that was outside of this race weekend?
1: Anything you wanted to bring up? Uh, I just want to say, I think the track changes they made were a phenomenal idea. The track track race is so much better now than what it did before. So um, just kudos to the the Australian Grand Prix organizers for making those changes.
2: I have nothing to say. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: Perfect. It certainly yeah, it certainly did spice up uh, some of the racing too and uh, the little chicanes that they got rid of is uh, w- was a good choice. So, yeah, Australia Grand Prix at the Albert Park circuit on the calendar for many more years to come. So, it's always a, a nice stop on the calendar here in the early part of the season. So, what I'll finish with uh, is a question that uh, I wanted to post to you guys because I saw this actually before we went into the weekend in Melbourne, and it was some comments by F1 CEO Stefano Domenicali, and I think it was uh, during some sort of interview where he was talking about free practice and the potential or the desire to eliminate free practice as a whole in some of the recent uh, things that he was saying is that in the near future, we might see free practice in Formula One just gotten rid of altogether and I don't know if the idea is to have more sprint races, more races in general, or just qualifying and the race, a two-day weekend. I'm not sure, but I certainly had plenty of opinions of this at the time, just reading uh, some of the quotes and, and the headlines as well. But I wanted to ask you guys this because I think it was a very interesting topic that even some of the drivers talked about. So, Tyler, what would you think about that, of getting rid of free practice altogether in Formula One?
1: Uh, I personally wouldn't be a fan and that's for the reason of, you know, if you go as a fan, some people can't afford race day tickets or qualifying day tickets. Some people go, you know, to the Friday to be able to see their, their cars go around the track to general admission, be able to get to the track. And those are the days where you can actually get tickets most for a lot now. So, um, I think that, you know, would, would deter a lot of fans who would love to go see Formula One, but can't afford the race or Qualifying or anything like that. I think that that would be a bad decision in that case But you know you could the policy you could swing from is that it create more chaos on race day where no one would know What their setup is like and I don't think that's good for racing if if you don't know You know don't get the right setup for your car and cars not handling well I just don't think that will create good racing. So um, I don't agree with it personally No,
2: I, I don't agree with it either and I, I feel like it is to bring probably more sprint races in to f1 But you know free practice is not and and like you mentioned for the fans is great too for like it's a cheaper day to go but free practice is more definitely for the teams to build up their cars and test out for the track itself and if that gets taken away it does create a lot more chaos on race day Um, and like it kind of just leaves them to find you know find what their setups going to be in qualifying and there's not a whole lot of time in qualifying in the end you know that you go out for a lap. a few laps test at your car and you have to go back and you basically have like 30 seconds in the end to get it which kind of which kind of makes qualifying more chaotic as well but no I I don't think it's the best idea and it's it's funny with just like I guess um motorcycle racing just introduced sprint racing as well this year or for a few of them as well and I was uh t- just talking to one of my coworkers. workers he's like a huge in most motorcycle racing and he was like oh I'm not sure how I feel about it but like it seems like an exciting way to do it and I've kind of like brought up my opinion I'm like you know what I feel like the race is kind of just decided on sprint race. oh you know at the sprint race and the actual race isn't as exciting anymore you know like the build up to the race is kind of gone but if they take away free practice and introduce a sprint race it's kind of just more of a huge thing for fans that they're doing and less for the sport itself i think but we'll see where they decide to go with it not a fan this is what i want to get at <laughs>
1: like i don't know maybe if they eliminate practice three like and just keep fridays as practice thursday is qualifying or sorry friday practice saturday qualifying and sundays the race like maybe that's an option but i think you have to have at least two practices personally
2: yeah, but I feel like if they are gonna do that, then they should have the fact that their reserve drivers should be doing more of the testing, you know, or like not having your number one and two drivers doing the entire thing and testing out the cars if they want to go about that and make more chaos in the end. But yeah,
0: we talking so, about practice?
2: Fuck shit up. <laughs> <Alan
0: Anderson. laughs> I hope people will get that reference, but (laughs) uh, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, not a big fan of Dominicale since he's taken over. He's just, and I know why he's doing it. Of course, we mentioned this earlier in the show. It's about the money and it's about the revenue being generated. So they're going to do things that they think at least is going to generate the most money and the most viewers and attract the most of the Netflix audience. But I mean, you can't get rid of practice because Formula One is soon turning into a sport in which the athletes in said sport barely get time to practice. I mean, imagine telling that to a footballer or a tennis player or a hockey player that, hey, we're going to get rid of practice and you're just going to show up on game day and the best that you can do. I mean, that's not going to go over well with the athletes. And I know that practice isn't the most exciting, but Tyler, you brought up the, the point right off the bat, which was exactly what I was going to say is most fans only get that chance to go to that Friday session and and watch 60 minutes of you know practice sessions. Obviously, it used to be a lot more with them being 90 minutes, so you got three hours of F1 action. And look at Canadian fans, for example. I mean, most Canadians are only able to attend that one race a year in Montreal. And you want to show up to the track and be able to see as much cars running on track as possible. And if you eliminate the practice, you're not going to see as much. You're only going to see one-hour qualifying and maybe you know that two-hour race that's not enough for me and guarantee you that they're going to end up charging even more money than they are right now for race day tickets, which it's already insane with the prices they're charging. So I, I don't like it at all. We already have minimal amounts of testing and I know that's all for cost cap and things like that, but I know some of the drivers came out over the weekend. George Russell in particular said that he'd be okay with getting rid of practices, but I'm just not sure. I mean, obviously it it doesn't matter for us in the end. We're not driving the cars, but it just seems like for a sport that's so technical and that's so much about feel and experience, F1 drivers practice the least out of any athlete of any sport that I could think of off the top of my head.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I don't don't know any other leads or, professions where you don't practice so um i mean also i know there's a lot of sim time and stuff like that but i mean i've never been in a similar obviously they're realistic but it, it, it can't be anything like driving the circuit and getting it you know getting a, you know, the weekend experience of getting your ideas of, of the track so and what you do you know, throw some f2 rookie with no practice into a you know saudi arabia where he's never raced before or something like that like I don't know that doesn't make any sense to me he obviously needs practice to go around the track and figure out his bearings so yeah i don't know how that's gonna work yeah and,
2: and overall over the weekend you know I they burnt rubber onto the track as well and create more grip you know when saudi arabia one first came out a couple of years ago and no cars had ever raced on it cars were slipping all over the place So if you're just going to go right into qualifying, I feel like there's going to be a lot more that the teams don't know for the results. And they're not going to completely know how to set up the car because it's going to change over the race as it goes. So, I don't
0: know. Good point, too. Didn't think about that. That's another element to it. But, you know, Verstappen, not a fan of the F1 sprints, as we know. We brought that up just a few minutes ago. He reiterated those thoughts over this past weekend in Australia saying that you know he feels just as a driver that in the sprints, he's not really there for racing. He's just kind of there to take care of the car and just be careful because he doesn't want to do any serious damage that would compromise his race on Sunday. So the sprints are a whole nother topic that we've discussed before, and I'm sure we're going to keep discussing as we get to more and more sprint races being added onto the calendar this season. But I'm not a fan of it. Again, it's just another one of those scenarios of if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Maybe you could consider getting rid of free practice three and just do some sort of a quick warm up session on Saturday before qualifying. But I think you do have to keep the fans in in mind here, but also the drivers. I just feel like I'm going to come out in defense of the drivers and say that they do need their practice time. I think reducing the 90 minute practice sessions to 60 minutes was a good idea. It's more compact, but. Listen, not, not everything has to be so exciting that the, the consumer out there has to be glued to his TV every day. I mean, I know we're hardcore F1 fans. I try and watch every practice session that I can in its entirety. But listen, if you don't want to watch the practice sessions on your TV at home, then you don't watch them. And that's OK. But you have to keep in mind the fans that go to the track and that pay the hundreds of dollars or euros to be there. They want to see F1 cars running. It's a rarity. You're not going to see Formula One cars every day in your life unless you're actually working the sport. So you want to see it as much as you can when you go when you pay your hard-earned money, and if you get rid of those and you start to just minus down the minutes that we see on track running, I don't know how much people are going to be worth spending with all that money, you know, to go and see them.
1: But I,
0: I like I
2: just thought of this and this, you know, if they if they decide to get rid of free practice and do like two qualifying days where they have like one day where the top twenty cars race and then have like the second day be like a qualifying sprint race where the top 10 drivers have to kind of race it out to see what times are gonna be. I, if they're thinking of just like a brand new format like that, maybe I would be interested in sprint race, you know, like have like a mini qualifying session where the top 10's just like duke it out over like 15 laps to find out what their pole position is gonna be. That would be interesting, you know, less damage to cars because there's less cars on the track actually racing for a sprint race but if they're just getting rid of free practice and just having the same format that they have now I feel like would just be a complete waste in everyone's part so I I genuinely just think qualifying needs to change I think that's what needs to come I'm not a huge fan of the qualifying format in general but that's just me
0: no, yeah, it certainly can be improved, but uh, I mean, they're no short of ideas to try and, and fix things or at least improve things in their mind, but who knows what kind of ideas we're going to get in the next uh, couple of months. So yeah, it should be interesting. So let us know what you guys think of, uh, are you a fan? Should we get rid of free practice or should we keep it? Or should maybe comment your own, uh, weekend formats in the comments below and, and maybe some of it will be heard. But, uh, yeah, that, that really does it. Then, uh, on my end here, my notes for uh, this podcast, uh, if you guys have anything, uh, Else that you want to get out there in the world while we're on the air, uh, the floor is yours.
1: No, no, dude. Enjoy the long break before we get real crazy into the schedule. We got, to, of course, uh, back and coming up uh, on the 30th of April, and then it's a back to back with the um, with the Miami Grand Prix, which is kind of crazy to go from Azerbaijan to the USA, then back over to to Italy, then it's another back to back to back. Oh, it's a triple one after that with uh, Italy, Monaco and Spain. So lots of 411 coming your way, but uh, enjoy the little break while you can. Then.
0: <laughs> yeah, I yeah. certainly will.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly.
2: The big build up in like April and May and June too. It should be pretty good. So
0: Yeah, yeah, it's going to be the full sprint then until the summer break. So, yeah, weird weird how they kind of scheduled that out, but anyways, yeah, you you won't be seeing us then for at least uh, another two or three weeks or so, but who knows, maybe if we get some ideas along the break, we'll we'll record some sort of uh, a special podcast, maybe maybe something will happen in between then, or we'll just come up with something if we get bored and we want to put some content out. But we will be having content, of course, coming out on the channel in the next few weeks or so. I'm actually just working on some uh, video topic ideas, just maybe some historical things that we could put out there in the meantime, little features. So uh, if you got any video ideas, of course, comment those as well. But you will be hearing from us in the next couple of weeks. Don't you worry. But do enjoy your a little bit of a break from Formula 1 after quite an intense start to the season. I know that we will as well. And we can't wait for the next race in Baku. And we can't wait to have your company on the next Backmarkers F1 show podcast. We really enjoyed doing this episode with you guys, Tyler and Shaker. I appreciate you guys coming on again. Thank you for all your inputs and your opinions as always. Really great that we uh, have another excellent race to talk about and always a pleasure to be joined here with all of our fans around the world and thank you for your continued support on the Backmarkers F1 show channel approaching that 10,000 subscriber mark on YouTube so please do subscribe to the channel if you haven't already and continue watching and supporting the BMF1 show all across social media and on YouTube as well so for Tyler and for Shaker I've been Chris Cato on this episode Three weeks from now we'll be seeing us soon but enjoy the break until then until next time guys bye for now take care